Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. One of the things that's cool about Disney is the live shows that they put on, and I really love a lot of the live shows. But I'll admit, I haven't seen all of them. I've missed a few along the way. And one of the ones I missed that kind of came and went over time is the Doug Live Show. And uh, for those of you who are not in the know, Doug was a show that was actually put together by a Nickelodeon creator by the name of Jim Jenkins. And he had put the show together, and it was aired on Nickelodeon. And then in 1996, Disney bought the rights to it, to his company. Uh, It was Jumbo Productions, and Disney bought the rights and brought it over to ABC Morning and made a decision to put the show on over in the uh, Superstar Television Theater, what's now known as the American Idol Theater. And it's really kind of an interesting story because it's unusual for Disney to take something from somebody else's production and bring it into theirs. It's usually some, a show of that sort is usually something that they bring on themselves that was something they created, or perhaps based on some general interest type thing, say the Haunted Mansion or something. So this is an unusual show. And I wanted to kind of bring it to life and talk about it a little bit. And I've got a, uh, a guest on uh, by the name of Gary Maselli. And Gary is actually somebody who's got some familiarity with the show and some definite interest in it. So let me introduce Gary. Gary, how are you doing today? Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So, Gary, tell us a little bit about your history and uh, how you came to be connected with this show and what you like about it. Well, I saw it in 2000, and I saw it on YouTube in 2007, and I never realized how uh, good it was and how great the music was. Then I became more interested in it. Uh, I met some of the cast and the director, and I just love it. It's such a great show. That's really cool. And, you know, the show centers around the story of a 12-year-old boy um, and his life and times and his friends. And it kind of brings up the angst of a 12-year-old. I think it's, you know, very clever that way that it yeah. kind of brings that to life. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the show itself. What, what, was, what was interesting about it? What made it unique? Well, the thing that made it unique was it was like no other show. I mean, like you said, it was about, it was about basically the average 11, 12-year-old boy going through um, the motions of falling in love. And I don't think Disney has ever had that before. I, I believe you're right. I don't think they have. I just I find it interesting because you know it's it's one of those shows that's just so different and so uh, kind of out there in a way from, from a Disney standpoint, where they do something different. I, uh, I'm going to put a link to the uh, to a uh, YouTube video of the show. Uh, so if anyone wants to see it, I'll put it in my show notes, and you can absolutely check it out because I think it's really kind of a cool show. So you're uh, you're obviously somebody who's who's got some interest in it. Um, so you saw it for the first time in 2000. Uh, you never performed in the show, right? It was never anything that you... It was just you were a guest and enjoying the show, right? I, I love to perform it, uh, but I never I never performed it. I, I saw it, and um, I just loved it. It was because back then I saw a lot of the shows, you know, Hunchback and uh, Beauty and the Beast and all those shows, but this one really stuck out for me because I was a humongous fan of the TV show. Ah. And yeah, to see it on stage was, you know... Really cool, and that's that's one of the cool things to kind of see something brought to life that you really enjoy. Um, you know, I, I just I'm amazed by some of the staging they did. I, uh, as I said, I hadn't actually seen the show when it was performed live, but I went and watched the YouTube video, and I was just I was I was amazed at the way Disney did it right um, because yeah. it became the full production. It's everything. It's everything you'd expect from the TV show. 
with these live characters, which was really cool because it was a two-dimensional cartoon world that they brought to life. Um, yeah, that's what was so good about it is they kept it as the show. They didn't make it over the top. They just kept it as Doug. And they had all the, you know, different color makeup. Um, a, a specific makeup company um, actually made specific makeup for the show. They made um, Skeeter Blue, Roger Green, and Patty Orange, and I believe Pork Chop Gray. And it was completely original. A lot of people, and even Disney, they had to do a lot of different things for the show, which I think what was making it uh, so unique. And that's, and I think that's one of the cool things about it is, you know, they, they really did, like you say, they had this whole um, whole new production thing they had done with the coloration and stuff because everything in the in the TV show had sort of these muted colors. So everybody sort of had a, um, a color that was associated with them. And to see that on the stage is kind of interesting because, you know, here are these live-action characters coming out, performing these parts, but yet they kind of look like the people in the cartoon. And that, that's really pretty cool. I mean, the Disney took the time and the thought and put it into it and, uh, and made it something different. Yeah, and what was so cool about it is if you watch it, um, a lot of the guests would um, ask if everyone was being tracked because their voices were so, you know, dead on for the cartoon. And for every show, all the voices, all the singing, all the acting, everything was live. That's incredible. You know, and that's, and that's another thing that I think Disney has really evolved in a large way. Uh, it used to be back in the 70s and maybe the early 80s, a lot of their stuff was all staged and recorded um, for these live shows that they would do. And the actors would get up and they'd mouth things. And then sometime in the 1990s, they made a decision because of the wireless technology that was available that they would have everybody mouthing and intoning their own, their own voice. And that was a huge leap forward from the company's perspective because now you're putting it in the hands of performers and you're taking it out of you know, actors who, who might look like the characters but don't sound like the characters and putting it in the hands of, the, of these people instead of being the voice actors. And it's a, it's a leap of faith in a way, but it, I think it's worked out tremendously well. I would argue that around the parks, around all of Disney parks, that's been a huge success because you have a little more interaction from your, the cast members who are playing those parts um, that then become those characters. Absolutely, and it, and it creates a new experience for the viewer, especially for the kids. Yeah, exactly, because every show is just a little bit different. Um, yeah. They all follow the script, but they, you know, they're subtly different from each other, and it's really kind of neat. It, it, every time you go to it, it can be a little different. Along the way, you, you said you got to know some of the producers and some of the cast members yeah. in the show. How did you how did you manage to do that? Well, um, I was a humongous fan. Um, I started connecting with them over Facebook, and then um, then I eventually went down because I'm I haven't gone to Disney you know in uh, ten or eleven years, and then I said I, I want to go back because I love Disney, and I love even though it's you know some of the rides have been the same for the last twenty thirty years. It's still so cool to go, and then um, I got to meet some of them that work there. Some of them actually still work there, hmm. um, and I got to meet them. And they're um, I definitely know why the casting director casted them because they because they are so much like the people. And they're such great people. That's that's cool, you know, and that. You know, one thing that I, I give Disney so much credit for is the way they cast people. I mean, you know, when you, when, you, when you go to get a job at Disney, you go to the casting center, and you may have a specific job in mind, but they're looking for something for a particular area, right? So they're hiring an X area or they're doing this. And sometimes it's, you know, you happen to have the tall lankiness of Goofy. So you're going to get kind of position, maybe we can, we can groom you to be Goofy. Um, you know, you have the right demeanor and the right tenor to be Doug. 
um, and we'd like to hire you to do this job. And I think it's really cool that they go through so much effort to put the right person in the right job. And uh, that's true around the parks, but especially in these live action shows. Absolutely, yeah. Even even Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. I saw Little Mermaid. It was... It's it's amazing how they look and sound just like the people in the you know, movies, and that's I think what they're aiming to do for the kids I, to really kind of fool them. I, I agree with you, and it was it was really neat. I um I had an opportunity to meet uh, the the woman who played Ariel in the in the uh, Spectre Magic Parade at one point in my in my uh, tenure with Disney, and it was really kind of interesting because she was she was a very nice lady, and she out of character she was Ariel. In character, she was Ariel. It was just really remarkable to see her because she was just she had that the same personality type, and it was just really neat because they cast her absolutely perfectly. Yeah, um, it was really it was really amazing. But uh, returning to the show, I mean, I'm just you know I'm fascinated by by Disney kind of going in and buying something that was so so not Disney, and uh, you know buying up this buying up this enterprise that was part of uh, Nickelodeon, and then airing it on you know ABC's morning show, and then creating a show around it. And then allowing it to be syndicated back on Nickelodeon, which I thought was kind of yeah. amusing. <laughs> Something you just don't see very often. Can you give us a little rundown, maybe a little more about the show and what the show was kind of all about? And maybe a little more about it, some, of the, you know, some of the music, not that I'm asking you to sing, but you know, some of the music that's in it. Well, if you've ever seen the show, um, it basically follows the normal Doug episode. Doug has an extremely enormous crush on Patty. And Doug and Skeeter say, um, we're going to call this radio station to try to win, you know, Beats tickets. Um, and they win. And Skeeter very nobly offers Doug his ticket to say, hey, here's my ticket. You take Patty to go. And it kind of revolves around Doug getting up the courage to ask um, Patty. And if you see it, it ends up Roger asking him first. And so Patty and Roger go to the concert. Skeeter and Doug go to the concert. Then at the end, you, you find out that... Um, Patty would love to date someone just like Doug. <laughs> ah, yes, all the angst of a 12-year-old. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I do, I do love the character names, too, because she's, she's Patty Mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, and Skeeter Valentine and, and Skeeter Roger Val- it's, it's great. I mean, you know, just some of these things. And Doug Funny, I mean, just even the voice is, yeah. I mean, the, the name is a great, great name. Even, even the color about how every character was a different color. Mm-hmm. Jim Jenkins actually said that um, he wanted everyone to be diff- different colors because he didn't want anyone to judge anyone hmm. based on color. That's very clever. I mean, the, the guy really so- showed some foresight there um, in what he, was, yeah. what he was thinking about with his, uh, his designs. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's pretty neat that, uh, that you know, he kind of came up with that. And that, I suspect that that probably had some of the, that was some of the reason they wanted to buy his Enterprise. Yeah, um, Jumbo Pictures. Uh, just because he was a unique guy and had sort of a unique view on the world. Yeah, it you know it's about the creativity and it's about some of the other things that come around with it. It's not about you know the show itself necessarily, though. Uh, though I guess it is to a large degree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the show was um, there's there's multiple videos up on YouTube about it, but if you see it, it's, it, it really was extremely unique, and it was nothing like you know. Beauty and the Beast or Finding Nemo. It's, it was just its own show. It was in its own category. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's pretty amazing to me that they were able to um, to keep it together, you know, for that long. Because it ran on, it ran as a stage um, show there from... It ran from March 1999 to May 2001. That, and that's, you know, that's a pretty good long run for a show that yeah. really had no, no place in Disney history. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about some of the shows that have had shorter runs. I mean, the Hunchback of Notre Dame show ran about the same length of time. And that was... Yeah. Um, you know that was a show that Disney had really put together and put a lot of yeah. effort into, and you know that was that was it was a really remarkable show too for different reasons. But you know that one had a lot more, 
lot more happening on the stage at any given time, I think, is the way yeah. I look at it. So more complicated to put together, I would think. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's really it's really remarkable. So you're obviously you know you're a you're a, a Doug fan. Any any other uh, yeah. you know any other shows that you really like around Disney or you know anything else? That, um, uh, last time I went to Disney, I saw the American Idol attraction, uh-huh. which, which which was fun. That was fun. I didn't. I saw Indiana Jones. Right now, Indiana Jones is my favorite show down there. Um, it's really really cool how they put it together with you know the boulder and all the effects and. Yeah. That was really cool to see. Um, Little Mermaid was fun. Um, again, Disney puts a lot of time and effort and a lot of money into these shows, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And you know, just to kind of kind of creep back on those for a minute, you know, the Indiana Jones show. If you, if my listeners have never seen it, it really is something to, to behold. You're sitting in a large theater, and they've got like a lot of stuff going on all at the same time, and you feel to a large degree like you're in the scenes in the movie. And they do some uh, do some clever things with some of the movies from the Indiana Jones uh, films, where they take some scenes from it and, and act them out. And they've got stuntmen and things happening, and some explosives, and you know they kind of show you some behind the scenes stuff. It's yeah. very very clever the way they set it up, and they do take some audience uh, participation there too. Um, and I guess Doug did too, and I, that's one of the cool features of it um, that there's some audience participation in it, and that you come out there and you feel like you're part of the show and you're part of you're part of uh, this production. Yeah, Doug. Uh, if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the show, um. Fifteen minutes beforehand, if you would get there, they would pick a kid out of the audience to play Quail Man. <laughs> and there was one time, um, one of the dogs told me this, that there was one time that um, that Quail Man came out and he was supposed to say a line. He was supposed to say, Quail Man, I believe in you. But, you know, the, the kid came out and the kid just froze. <laughs> so after a few minutes, Doug kind of leaned over and said, kid, say the line. <laughs> and, and he eventually said the line. But um, it was it was a... They uh, they also had um they also picked four parents out of the audience to play the beats. Okay. Um, they would you know make them in hair and makeup and uh, wigs and they would give them gu- guitars and you see that some of the parents were holding back but some of the parents were like on their knees playing the guitar. <laughs> it was really funny. That's um, pretty cool. And, and if you and if you see the show in the first, what was really cool about it in the first scene one of the, one of the first songs was um was Doug singing about his um how he loves Buffington and. Um, you see there's a giant notebook, and Roger, Skeeter, and Patty jump out of it. And, you know, there have been times where Roger gets stuck on one of them, and you see, like, an arm and a leg come out, that he fall over. Um, okay. But other than that, it was a pretty, pretty good run show. There was, there was a lot of funny stuff that happened. Um, there was one that, um, it, it, was, it was in the locker room scene, and, you know, Doug's singing about how he's going to have Patty out. And one of the skaters farted, like <laughs> paint, like paint peeling off the walls, bad. Okay. And so ski, and so Doug singing, does blocking, whatever. He comes up to skater, and then skater smiles, and Doug just lost it. He started <laughs> laughing. He couldn't. He stopped singing. And the audience, the audience loved it when the when they would mess up. The audience absolutely loved it. They they got a kick out of it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the other cool features is that in these live productions, things do happen sometimes. Yeah, wind up off script a little bit. Something happens that throws off the timing, you know, whatever, and they react to it. And you know, sometimes it's, it becomes a part of the show, and sometimes it yeah. doesn't. Um, I, st- I still remember seeing the Cirque du Soleil show one time, and the, the lady on the on the trapeze was having some trouble. And so they, they just kept having her do it again and again, and they were kind of the band would start playing again. You know, it was they almost made it funny in the in the. Um, one of the uh, uh, clowns would come out and just kind of egg it on a little bit, you know, to make it oh, seem funny. a little more humorous. And 
I think that's I think that's just incredible. You know, when they do that and they they make it a part of the show, it really makes it more special. Yeah, um, and that's the thing with live theater is I like it so much better than like a movie because mm-hmm. anything can happen. <laughs> like there, it's anything can happen. There was there was one Doug show where where Doug came out and said, you know, that's me, and pointed to the thing, and he didn't have his microphone. So after the intro, he had to go get his microphone and go back on during the silence <laughs> of what everyone was. But, but, you know, stuff did happen. I sure. mean, it was live theater, so. Sure, and that's that's the nature of live theater. Um, yeah. So uh, what, what do you suppose happened? You know, why did they why did they stop its run? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, probably because maybe an issue with the rights. Okay. They were maybe dealing with the rights a little bit. And um, I feel like Disney said, um, because the show canceled, well, the Doug's first movie came out in 99. Right. So the show kind of canceled at the same, t- same time, so they said, um, since it's canceled, let's bring something new in. Um, and they didn't for seven years, which was American Idol. Right. And that's the, the interesting thing. I mean, the way that, the way that particular theater is, is, has existed, I mean, they had the Superstar Television there, which was a very cute show back in when the yeah, yeah. park opened. Um, and then, you know, it sat idle for a while, and then Doug Live came there for a while, and then yeah. it sat idle for a while, and now it's American Idol. Yeah. Um, you know, and with American Idol seeming to be dying off a little bit on TV, I wonder how much longer that show will run, too. I mean, will it be in line with the show, or will they keep it going for a while longer? I don't know. Really kind of interesting. Yeah, it is, because I, I went there a couple months ago, and I saw American Idol. And it's still a popular attraction, but I wonder how long it's going to you know, stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about that, too. I mean, it's very clever, but uh, kind of you know, at some point it kind of runs its course in a way. I'm um, sure they're in talks with, you know, the X Factor attraction or something like that. Oh, probably. I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, they had the um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire game there for a while in one yeah. of the other studio stages. So, you know, you yeah. never know. Yeah. Uh, Disney always seems to have something up its sleeve. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, remaking all of the um, Animation Street into the Pixar Studios was a really remarkable thing. I mean, you know, just to give yeah. an example. So. It's... And there's, I don't know what the name of it is, but there's a museum in Hollywood Studios that has, like, old Disney memorabilia. And I thought that was one of the coolest attractions that I've ever seen there. And that is one of the most un- under-visited attractions, too. It's, yeah. Um, that's part of Walt One Man's Dream. And uh, people go through there, and it's an ever-changing uh, series of things that they put in there. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's, they, have, they have Walt Disney's desk. From he was from when he was like in first grade or something. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's neat because you go in there and you, you learn a little something and you see some of this history and some of the way they did things before computers, before they had all this great equipment. They invented a lot of stuff. Yeah, they invented a lot of their own technology. And they have so much like like they have like props from old Disney movies, which is so cool to say. It's I mean it's history. And mm-hmm. people take it for granted. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I say it's, you know, like an under underutilized attraction because people just don't go in there for whatever reason or kind of wander through it quickly and don't yeah, that's what it is. But you're absolutely right. It's worth a couple of minutes to just take a crawl through there and, you know, spend yeah, some time and like, read some of the signs. Yeah. So it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that that's there, but it's kind of a hidden treasure in a way. Um, yeah, it is. To look back at, you know, the, the life and times of Walt Disney and the Disney Studios and, yeah. you know, whatever. It's, it's kind of neat. So you were saying you, you really like the Indiana Jones show now, and you were talking about The Little Mermaid as well, and I just wanted to mention that one for a second, too, because one of the cool things about The Little Mermaid show is the way they use the lighting in that show. And they had yeah. the... Uh, and, the and, they went, and the way they really did the costumes... Yes. Was, it, was, it was so accurate to the movie, and the sets even, how they did the sets were so cool. Mm-hmm. And all the actors, especially, all the actors were so great, like, using everything around them. Yep. 
And I, I personally love the blacklit scene where they're singing Under the Sea. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they have the, you know, the character, the people are wearing black costumes on a black background, but they have their, their puppets on their hands and they're doing them. And it's yeah. really cool because they're moving across the stage and it looks like the puppets are just kind of floating across the stage with the yeah. black light on them. It's, Which is, yeah. It's, it's just such a clever, clever use of, you know, low technology. Um, yeah. To make the effect. Yeah, that's, that's another cool thing. Um, I really like the Indiana Jones show, though. I've been going there, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. What I like about that specifically is they, uh, they, you know, they show you the scene and then they, then the guy comes up and then they show you, oh, this is, this is really, this is how they do it. This boulder actually weighs three tons more than the set. And they kind of, like, show you how it's done, and then they give you insight, which yep. is really cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, and you get a feeling for how these how these uh, scenes are done. Um, yeah. You know, and I wonder anymore, with, with the way technology has evolved uh, to a large degree, and a lot of stuff is more computer-generated and less physical sets like this. Yeah. You know, I wonder how different it is today than it was, say, 20 years ago when, when the studios first was created. Yeah, uh, you know, and how that how that all works, but still, it's really cool to see them do that. I mean, you know, you see the truck flip over, and it's on a post, and the yeah. post just kind of turns, and that's why the truck flips over. And it's like, oh yeah, right, of course. Yeah, there's a YouTube <laughs> video about um about a, about a mistake that happened when the boulder comes down, uh-huh. it's something on the stage, and then it kind of flew out the set and almost went to the audience. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Things like that, you know, you never you never can tell. Yeah. When something like that is going to happen, and they do their best to try to protect everybody, but uh, and there was a there was a tragedy that happened there oh, about six years or so ago, where there was a stuntman during a, um, a, a uh, one of the rehearsals had actually fallen off one of the uh, one of the sets and had actually died. Um, yeah. and it's kind of a tragedy, but it just goes to show you this is real people doing real acting stuff, right? And it, yeah. real it has stunts, yeah, real stunts, sure, inherent risk with it. Um, you know, he was he was doing something apparently that he loved, so you know. That, yeah, I guess that's the silver lining in a way, um, but it's it's just sad that it, you know that it happens like that. But that is the nature of live performances. Yeah, um, you know, especially with stunts like that. You know, people are falling yeah. and people are jumping and you know doing things that could be dangerous. Um, jumping over buildings, fire, and all oh, that dangerous stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they do a yeah. really good job of keeping it safe, but you know. Yeah, and the thing is, if they miss a step, their lives could be at risk, which is you know really. Good, like mm-hmm. really bad, but right. But it's it, it, like, it, it. It just makes it kind of more entertaining in a way. It does, and that shows you, you know, how much rehe- how many rehearsals it takes, and how much work they have to do to get through it. Yeah, um, and that, I think that's one of the amazing things is you know they spend so much time on that and energy to get it just right, so that they don't have missteps, and the audience doesn't see that. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, but it's it's you know it, it's just amazing to me what Disney can do and you know the way they can bring something to life and you actually feel like you're there. I mean they can immerse you in the experience and that was where I was going back to the to the point. You feel like you're in the Little Mermaid. You feel like you're watching. You know you're immersed in the movie in a large to a large degree. You know, Absolutely, a, and, and that's what I felt like with Doug when right. I was you know when I was really young. I didn't know about you know acting or this this or that or blocking or whatever. So I thought when they came out on the screen, I thought these were the actual characters. That's so, cool. Because, you know, their voices were... And funny thing is, after, you know, after, after they did some of the shows, um, the Doug cast would not allowed, be not allowed to meet people, but they would meet, like, special groups that would come from, like, Make-A-Wish or, like, Children's Hospitals, and the children would actually believe these are the characters. That's cool. Which just, which just goes to show how amazing their imagination was. That's, that's really cool that they could actually, you know, make that make-believe that make and make it real. 
Yeah. That, that just, that amazes me. You know, you, get, you see that, that, that wonderful moment and that interaction where there's a child who, you know, is in the Make-A-Wish and they're meeting the, they're meeting the characters and they just, their eyes light up and really it's just exciting. Them, yeah. Because yeah, it's totally that's, believable. That's, that's Disney magic. Yeah. That's it right there. You're right. That's, yeah. that's exactly it. I saw a quote here from Jim Jenkins that I just want to share with everyone. Um, Doug is not a powerful character. He's more where I feel that kids are today. They're soft-spoken and bewildered, but they often make the right decisions. What we try to get across is that, uh, was that you should feel good about yourself and not give in to peer pressure. The underlying foundation was that doing the right thing the right way will pay off. And I thought, I was reading that, and I thought, that's a pretty good inspirational statement. Yeah. And I think that's why Doug was so successful as a TV show. And then became a stage show that, that had some success as well. Um, yeah, I mean, when um, when the director went down to New York to meet um, Jim, Jim Jenkins, you know, they were talking about the Doug Live show and how they wanted it to be. And Jim Jenkins always said he really wanted it very simple. I mean, he didn't want it to be over the top because Doug was such a simple, sweet little character mm-hmm. that that never judged anyone, that was always, you know, the good guy. He always did the right thing. It was just a very simple character. And I think it, if they played it today, it could still be relevant. And I think that, you know, that kind of speaks to why it was important to Disney or to the Disney brand, because it fits right into the theme of Disney, right? Yeah. Somebody who's just a simple guy who just fit, who doesn't quite fit in, but yet fits in, right? Just kind of, kind of is there. And that's exactly what, you know, what Disney tries to, you know, impress upon people is that's, that's the way, you know, people are. Um, And that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gary, um, I appreciate you coming on to talk about uh, Doug Live. That was Thank you. It was really interesting. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I had never seen the show, and I thank you for bringing it to my attention because once I saw it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, just a very entertaining show and um, very, very enjoyable in the, in the way they put it together. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, you know, again, my thanks for, for coming on and uh, talking about Doug Live. Always, yeah. always fun to talk about Disney anyway. Um, you yeah. know, all the fun things that Disney has in it. Yeah, mistakes at Disney, fun things at Disney. Exactly. It's just, it's just a good time. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit Destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash A. Our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show. You can find links to other great Disney podcasts, as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney Buzz on DisneyPodcast.net. 
And don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 115.